Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. I got a question for you coming up. Are you ripping yourself off or saving yourself money if you buy prescription drugs from, let's say, Canada? I got news for you. And coming up later, traffic is becoming a problem in so many more metro areas around the country than it used to be. What are we going to do about it? I want to tell you one thing that infuriates people, but hey, I think it might make some good sense. I want to talk right now about the cars we drive and what it costs to insure them. Now, I am a huge fan of insurance being paid by the mile. And I I really like the idea of somebody who doesn't drive very much paying less for auto insurance, somebody who drives a ton paying more for auto insurance, and somebody who drives like a crazy person paying more than somebody who is extra, extra cautious behind the wheel. And now more Americans are using auto insurers or signing up for optional programs with auto insurers where you actually have your rates go up or down based on how you drive. And I remember when I first talked about this long, long ago, before the technologies that exist today exist, and progressive insurance ran what I believe was the first test of this in the country in the state of Texas, that progressive at the time said, hey, we're going to monitor how you drive for a period of time, and then you'll never pay more money, but if we really like how you drive, we'll cut the rates of your insurance. Now, that was then, this is now, and in progressive's program now, the rates are variable both up and down. So if you're willing to sign up for them to track how you drive, that information can send your premium soaring, declining, or leave it about where they guessed originally. Now, again, I am a fan of this because if I drive like a lunatic, I'm increasing the odds that I'm going to be mayhem on the road. Like that, is that Allstate that does those commercials with the crazy guy who's always causing destruction everywhere he goes? Anyway, that if you are someone who is a threat to your own safety and well-being and to others, and that's how you roll, then I think you should pay more. On the other hand, if you are somebody who's extra, extra careful and cautious, then you should pay less. Period. I mean, we as Americans drive a lot worse than we used to. And we drive a lot worse because the vehicles we drive are much more high performance than vehicles used to be. I mean, the power of vehicles today runs circles around the acceleration vehicles used to have, the cornering power vehicles used to have, 
and we don't handle that need for speed very well, a lot of us. So the big issue, though, who has access to that data? Now, I would be a big fan of strict privacy laws that the data collected in order to set your rates could not be used for any other purpose, period. Could not be subpoenaed for a court case, could not be used for anything else other than this is how much we want to charge you for your vehicle insurance because this is how you drive. But the idea of paying per mile and based on how you operate the automobile, I think makes perfect sense. Tyler's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Tyler. Hi, Clark. How are you? Good, thank you. Tyler, you're one of those people who does everything perfect in life, aren't you? <laughs> I'd like to think so, but no, not quite. Well, you are, you are with how you save money. Tell me all about that. Well, I recently got a, a promotion at work, and I'd like to invest the extra money for retirement. Um, I'm already maxing out a Roth. I've been maxing out a Roth IRA for several years now, and I didn't know if the only option for me was uh, like a, a S&P 500 index fund or what my options were aside from a Roth IRA. So do you not have a 401k where you work? Uh, I'm a police officer, and we do have a the state pension, and they, and it's a... They mandate 7% out of our checks that go into that state pension, and then they match it. The city I'm with matches it uh, two to one. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for putting your life on the line for our safety every day. Oh, thank you. So if you want to save more, this is great. And what you mentioned going in an S&P 500 fund is a great choice because it's so tax efficient. Uh, you could do that. You could do a total stock market index fund. Uh, either would be a great way for you to have money that would not be specifically in a retirement account, but would have extremely favorable tax treatment. And okay. I like that as an idea. And you know, now you can go in these funds with the low-cost companies that have basically – almost no management fee at all. Yes, and I, I'd like to look into that. And that was my other concern, too, is I started maxing out my Roth IRA uh, before I started listening to you. And uh, I know I'm not, not going to mention the company unless you want me to, but it, it's with a company that you've never talked about before. And that kind of concerns me that I've been investing maybe in the wrong place with my Roth. But All right, go ahead and name them, and then I'm going to kill that so only I'll hear it. Okay, so the people you're with, are they're not scammers, they are a respected company, but you're paying far more in expenses than you need to spend, especially with a Roth IRA. Okay. And I would recommend that you look at moving your Roth money to one of the low-cost companies from uh, where you have it right now, and okay. it's a pretty easy process, and so... If you were to, um, you were allowed to do a couple of things. You can either, well, actually the easiest thing would be you can sell your positions in the Roth IRA, ask for a check to close your account, 
and then you have 60 days from the date on that check to redeposit it in a Roth at one of the low-cost companies, which okay. is, you've listened to me now, you know, are Vanguard, Fidelity, and Schwab. Yes. And you could just put the money into a target retirement fund with any of those three, where okay. you pick the year. Um, how old are you? I'm 33. So let's say you as a police officer will probably retire a little earlier than people would in other professions. So let's say we looked at you 27 years away. Look at um, the 2045 fund. Okay, 2045. And then just put all your money in the target retirement fund 2045. If you decided to go to Fidelity, you want to be in the 2045 index fund, not the regular 2045. With Vanguard and Schwab, it's just the 2045 target retirement. Okay, great. I'll do that. And then on top of that, just take the extra and just get like a simple S&P 500 index fund, which is not retirement fund, but just an investment fund. Exactly. And you can do it um, where you just put money into that index fund every month automatically, or you can do it uh, whenever you have excess cash you want to put into it. And then that gives you extra flexibility that later in life you can let that money continue to grow or you can even spend it before normal retirement age if you had a special need and then you're only subject to extra favorable capital gains tax. Okay, great. And that was my concern with the Roth, too, is that it kind of, now I'm in a position where I think I'll be able to retire before uh, 59 and a half, and I feel like I kind of trapped myself now with the Roth, because... But you're not trapped. You're not trapped at all, because if you're parallel investing in an S&P 500 or a total stock market fund, the difference is the S&P is the 500 largest publicly traded uh, total stock market or broad market index will be like 3,000 different companies okay so you can go either the 500 or you can go even larger and pick up mid-size and small companies as well that money would be accessible to you easily at any age if you ended up retiring before 59 and a half but even the Roth money you're able to withdraw tax and penalty free portions of your contributions you just have to leave your earnings in okay that makes sense. So it's fantastic that on a police officer's salary, you're saving the money towards your pension, your mandatory contribution towards it. You're maxing out a Roth IRA, and now you're looking at putting other money aside. I think that's great that you are such a wonderful saver. Pat's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Pat. Hello. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Pat. What's going on? So I'm a cadet at one of the service academies, and I'll be graduating next year. And uh, we have the opportunity to take out a or up to $36,000 loan at a 0.75% interest. So a lot of the cadets here end up using the money to buy a new car. I, I was You took the words right out of my mouth. What kind of car are you going to buy? <laughs> well, I'm not looking to buy a car, but a lot of them do use the money to buy a car. But... Luckily, my brother is going to let me use his old 2004 Corolla, so I'll be able to drive that. Great. But my question is, is just because it's a good rate, I'm not sure I should just take the loan and invest it, but I was wondering if I should take part of it 
and use it to max out my Roth IRAs for last year and this year. Because while we do get a stipend here, it is hard to max out the, the Roth each year. So is the stipend considered to be earned income that you have to report on a tax form as taxable income? That's correct. Okay, so then you have 6000 or more dollars a year in earned income. Yes. So if you were to, you know, normally I would say never borrow money to invest. But at 0.75, <laughs> I got to make an exception here. And that I is like, a really good rate, yeah, I've heard. Right, uh, that's an incredible rate. But you don't want to do anything crazy in what you put the money in the Roth. You know, you don't want to do ultra high risk, individual stocks, anything like that. You want to do like I was just talking about with the police officer. You want to put the money in a target retirement fund, your case much later in life. So right. like year 2060, somewhere in there. Because I have the it, targeted fund 2065. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. And that is such a low risk choice that you borrowing at 0.75 is a way to be able to make sure you fund fully the Roth is great. Exactly. Because it's such a big return later in life. Right. And you could, you know, stock markets roll up and down and you could find yourself negative at some point where you put in more money than what the account would currently have a value but there's no doubt that over the long haul, it's a very reasonable idea for you to do. Perfect. And I've never said that to anybody ever. Is that right? Never. I mean, I cannot think of another situation, another circumstance where I've ever said, yeah, it'd be okay to borrow money to, to fully fund a Roth. That's never happened that I can recall. But well, your I'm circumstance. Glad to be the first, then. Well, your circumstance is so unique. And. You're also so unique that you're not running out and buying some really expensive car. You know, I, I do something called Operation Clark Smart, where I go talk to um, uh, men and women at military posts. And mm-hmm. it's an automatic that the questions from younger military personnel are always about spending money. And the questions from older military personnel are always about saving and investing money. So <laughs> you obviously have an old soul. <laughs> so Well, you've listened to your show a lot and learned some good saving tips and techniques, so thank you for that. Certainly, and thank you for your upcoming service to our country and the military. In order to save their employees money, many local governments around the country and historically some states would make available to their state or local government employees access to buying their prescription drugs from Canada. Uh, The same prescription drugs sold in the United States are available in Canada at massive discounts to what they cost here. This is something that infuriates the nation's drug manufacturers, that they do not want Americans cutting into their profits by getting their prescription drugs from Canada. The FDA doing the bidding of the nation's drug companies in today's Clark Rageous moment, trying to scare people off from filling prescriptions in Canada, like somehow Canada is up to something nefarious and is trying to sell us bad drugs. If where you work encourages you to buy drugs from Canada, 
there's not a hundred percent hundred there's not a hundred percent certainty that everything is going to be perfect with those drugs. But the odds are so high, so high, and the savings can be so large that I really like these programs that assist people in buying drugs across the border. And if you live in a border state, going to fill your prescription meds in Canada remains a fantastic way for you to reduce the cost of your meds because we have the world's highest drug prices in the U.S. And that alone is clark Rages. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. From time to time, I'll have a pointy-headed idea on the show that generates a lot of anger. And there's something that I've talked about off and on for decades that I believe is the solution to our traffic congestion problems that are spreading like locusts around the country as more and more metro areas have more and more of us sitting in what feel like endless traffic jams. And I've been a fan of an idea that has happened in a number of countries around the world uh, for, gosh, for decades also, where basically every road in an area becomes a toll road at certain times of the day. Now, uh, if you've ever been to London, you may be aware that London has congestion pricing. You go in certain areas of London certain times of the day, you get hit with a congestion charge for coming on the roads to lessen traffic. And that's just what it's done there. But it's not just London. There are a number of places around the world that have done this with congestion pricing. Now, I haven't gone that radical crazy. But what I have suggested is that we go to a system of tolling every freeway lane in a metro area suffering from congestion. And that depending on the time of day you ride on that road, that you either get paid for every mile you ride on it, pay nothing, or pay handsomely to ride on that road. All right, so let me explain the logic. I don't want the tolls on roads to just line the pockets of government. What I want the road to do is get as much use out of each lane as you can around the clock. So if somebody drives on a road during times that the road is empty, that in order to make sure government's not making money from the tolls when the road's really busy, you'd get paid to ride down the road during off, off, off peak times. You'd pay nothing during times that traffic's slowing fine. And you'd pay a steadily increasing amount as the road gets busy. And signs would post what the charge is or the payment or the fact there'd be no fee at different times. Now, I know this sounds like something, and, and if you haven't heard me talk about it before, just go to uh, clark.com slash clarkstinks and let me know why I'm infuriating you. But what happens is when a lane is paved on a freeway, let's say they expand a freeway from three lanes to four each way, that additional lane will immediately create more demand and fill up. 
and the traffic problems it was designed to alleviate come right back. I prefer the idea of charging for all lanes versus what a number of communities are doing, building what's sometimes referred to as Lexus lanes, which are toll lanes right next to the free lanes, because in order to reduce the total amount of traffic, you have to really turbo boost what the what the fee is, what the toll is, on that toll lane. If all lanes were tolled, in order to get enough cars to take the price signal and people decide to drive at a different time, the cost of riding on that road would be a lot lower overall. So just my idea of how I would eliminate the impossible traffic we have, because if you can't get anywhere, it doesn't help that the road is free to ride on because of the time everybody loses. And here's a fact. Amazingly, a lot of driving is discretionary as to time of day. Other driving's not. But if we went to my system, employers would have to flex on when people had to go to work and when they'd have to return from work. And I guarantee you, our roads would be used far more efficiently than they are right now. Just my idea. Nate's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Nate. Hey, Clark. Nate, you're thinking of becoming a landlord. Welcome to my club. I am. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me so, what you're thinking of and how far along you are with it. Yeah, so we, my wife and I were expecting our first kid um, in a couple of months, and we're both She's 30, I'm 31, so relatively young in that aspect. But we have no debt other than our mortgage, um, about 200000 in our retirements. We're maxing out our Roths. Um, I have an HSA that we max out every year. Um, so we started thinking, okay, we're doing the right thing. So you know a lot think. of people listening to you just like, how are you so perfect? Come on, What's Nate. That? How are you so perfect? Maxing out your HSA, maxing out your Roth, saving all this money, only having a mortgage. And this is pretty great. Yeah, I mean, we we started, you know, when we were younger, making sure that we were aligned uh, before we had our first kid or we got married. So we were just smart about it, I guess. We, we We knew that we didn't want any debt. I love this. Okay. So um, just because you're doing all that, though, doesn't mean you should bring rental properties into your life. So pitch me on why rental properties look like they make sense. Okay, so we were trying to figure out a way um, for maybe some passive income. And the whole idea that we have behind it is we would buy a rental property, become a landlord, and have somebody else essentially pay off the house over time. And then after, say, 15 years, we have this asset um, that is making us money, essentially. And down the road, if we wanted to add additional ones, you know, we could. Um, But my wife is a teacher. She loved looking at houses prior to us buying our first house and still looks at houses. So she enjoys that aspect of it. Um, but just the the progressive, uh, the passive income, we were really intrigued by that. 
So, you know, the tax code is not is very friendly to landlords that have active income, is not as friendly to you with passive income, although it still can be a very good long-term investment. I have I, I have a lot fewer rental properties than I used to. I'm down to three. Um, okay. I'm just at a point in my life where properties stepped up in value enough. There have been different circumstances. I've disposed of properties, but I still have uh, very productive rental properties and I've had them so long they're all paid off mm-hmm. so they're very cash flow positive it's a great thing having them but you have to deal with tenants and I've had I've had some issues from time to time over the years I've been a landlord since 1978 so I can tell you I've got lots of uh, mostly good stories and then some not so good stories from having been a landlord. So you have to be prepared for both. You sound like you and your wife have pretty good cushion there, so you'd be okay with that. But how do you think you'd feel or be if you had a tenant who just wasn't behaving and you had to do an eviction? Um, I, I mean, it's not ideal. No one wants to deal with that. But um, with my profession that I'm in, I... I'm in the legal industry. I'm not an attorney, but um, so I have access and knowledge about that side of it. So the real estate. I'm talking about psychologically. Forget the practicality. Um, You think you you got the guts that, uh, let's say you have a tenant, they're not paying rent, lost their job, they got a little kid. Are you still going to have the guts to do an eviction because you're not running a charity, basically? Yeah, I mean, I, I went. I have a, a business degree. My wife now might be in a different boat because she is a teacher and um, is a little bit more more forgiving on that aspect of it. But you know, I look at it as a like you said, a business. Okay, as long as I always want to bring up that negative when someone has never been a landlord because I've actually had to do evictions before and I hate it. But you have to because you know. It's your property, it's costing you money every month, and you just have to be prepared to make tough decisions. So, Right, and I'm sure that that's never fun. But your wife loves looking at real estate, loves drilling down on what's a deal and what's not. One of the keys is for you to be able to uh, come pretty close from the very beginning, particularly since you'd want to do a 15-year mortgage, where your cash flow positive or at least neutral in the early years, having a rental property. Okay. And, you know, our producer, Joel, has five five keys now. Is that what you call it? Yeah, five, five doors. Five doors? Yep. And every property you've ever done has been cash flow positive from the first month, right? That's, that's right, yep. Any suggestions for Nate starting out looking for his first property, how to narrow that in and make sure you're targeting specifically being cash flow positive per from the first door. Sure, yeah. I think the 1% rule is something I consider when I'm looking at a house, and that just means that, let's say you're buying a $200,000 house, that likely rents are going to be about $2,000 a month, and that just means that, that you're getting a good deal. That's like a good kind of back of the envelope, quick math, to know that you're looking for something that, that is actually going to work out. Because if you're buying a $350,000 home and you're getting $2,000 a month for rent, well, the numbers just don't work out. And also just when you're, you know, investing in, in a house 
uh, it's important to, to know the neighborhoods where you're looking and know this down to the streets as well. So become super familiar with neighborhoods where, where you think are, are on the turnaround or on the upswing and, and where you feel like it's going to be a good house to own for quite a while. And, and for me, and for, it sounds like for you as well, Nate, it's important to, to make sure you're investing in a neighborhood where you feel like you can attract good tenants where it's a place for me. It's always a place uh, when I buy a house, I want to be able to to know that I myself would live there. And if I would live there, then I know that I'm going to be able to attract lots of other people that are interested in living there. So that, those are kind of some key things I look at when I'm looking at a rental property. I got one other thing I wanted to say, Nate, and that is that my experience is first-time landlords tend to buy a property in an area where it's easier to find properties and more of them are uh, landlord-owned instead of owner-occupied. I want you to look more for the needle in a haystack where most of the properties in a neighborhood and on a street you're looking at are owner-occupied instead of rentals. There's more stability in a neighborhood and a street like that, and you got a better chance of finding a home that's going to appreciate over time versus one where there's a very large number of rentals. So happy hunting. I hope you find a great rental property and that it works out for you as a way to diversify all these great ways you and your wife are living on less than what you make and saving money. Ted's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ted. Hello, Clark. How's it going, Ted? Pretty good. I was going to ask you about uh, the banks these days that are offering uh, significant bonuses for opening uh, an account. A lot of these are big banks, but uh, they don't pay any interest on their accounts, but the offering of the bonus is significantly more than what you can make in the short short period of time, even with the online banks. Sure, and usually, usually they make you have an account with them for six months on the standard offer, and banks are paying $250, $400, $500 even, and what's mm-hmm. the most generous you've seen so far? $600 on... $50,000 for 60 days. Only 60 days? Yeah. Grab it. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, what they're yeah, counting on is you're going to open the account, you're going to forget it's there. How does anybody forget $50,000? But anyway, <laughs> that you, you'd forget it was there or just get lazy and, and not get around to grabbing your money. Mm-hmm. Sure, grab the $600. Yeah, and I do understand that they'll do a. Um, you have to freeze your credit because they're going to do a credit check on you, right? Likely. But it's just a, it's a soft hit, not a hard hit. Exactly. Yeah, it's only it's only to make sure that you are who you say you are. It's not an uh, application for credit, and yeah. as long as you have the personal discipline to mark on your calendar and know on that sixty first day you're in there to get your money back, go for it. Uh, I was wondering if there's any gotchas that I there's, had the heard gotcha, about it. The gotcha is human behavior. Yeah. And so. it sounds like you're not going to fall for that gotcha. So that's why you have $50,000 you can put in to grab $600 from. I love it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Brian's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Brian. How's it going? Hi, Clark. Thank you for your show. I really enjoy it. Thank you, Brian. You have a question for me. Nobody's asked me in probably a couple of years. Hit me with it. Yeah, I want to know what the most efficient and you know inexpensive way is to register a domain name. So domain names used to vary enormously in price from who you registered them with. And I remember there were even some domain registries that were free in return for hoping you would buy other services from them. That all seems to have gone away. And now the price seems to have settled generally between about 8 and $15 per year okay. for a domain registration. Where, I mean, there was once a time they were registering them for 30 or $40 a year for a name, down, as I said, to zero. So now it's a very narrow price range. And is it a domain registration you'd want to have for a long time? Well, I don't know. It's just been one of the first steps I've taken, uh, you know, kind of upstream of a couple small little startups that I'm thinking about. So I recommend if they... Uh, you don't want to register a name for a year and then forget to renew it, and then you lose something you've been building up. So I do something to an excess of caution. When I register a new domain name, I look for where I can get a discount for a multi-year registration, and I usually register for five, but if I know it's a domain I'm going to want to use, I register it for ten. Okay. And you'll find that some of the domain registers will offer you a price break in return for a multi-year registration. But the okay. there's one that a lot of bargain hunters go to if they're just doing a one-year called Name Cheap, which is just what it says. <laughs> it's like eight bucks a year to register okay. one. And the one that's best known is GoDaddy, and they're 12 bucks a year. Okay. All right. Name cheap. Name cheap. Isn't that perfect? I mean, it's like... That's perfect. Yeah, if you're wondering what business they're into, name cheap says it all. And I remember years ago, there was one that had zero in its name, and uh, their price actually was zero. But they're gone. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.